Romans 8, 14 through 16, as we continue to make our way through the book of Romans. Our focus tonight will be verses 14 through 16, however. Let me read starting at verse 12, all right, just for us to remember some of the context. As we talked a lot about the Holy Spirit last week, uh, let's bring in that context of verse 12. But again, our focus will be verses 14 through 16, Romans chapter 8. Okay, start in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that's where we're going to stop tonight. Like I said, it's jam-packed, so we, we can't go any further than that. We'll wait till next next week or next time. All right, let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we know it's true and it's from you. God, we thank you for your spirit and the ways in which your spirit works in our lives and our hearts. And I pray indeed that your spirit would work through us tonight, God. Teach us your word and your truth. I pray, God, that we would see the magnificence of your grace and your love. Your love in which we do not deserve. And I pray that we would give you glory and praise. For you are due and you deserve all glory and praise, Lord. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, for the most part, I don't really have a lot of nicknames <clears throat> that people call me uh, anymore today. Most people call me Luke. Cool nuts. Most people don't call me that. I've never heard that before, but I'll take it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, okay, that's good. Uh, some people just call me Mr. Shawnut, right, Robbie? You still call me that, yeah? Sir Luke the Duke. Sir Luke the Duke, yeah, yeah, yeah. Growing up, I had a lot of different nicknames. I had uh, Steel Toe. I used to wear Steel Toe boots. Uh, they used to call me Lohawk, uh, Sonic, Jet, Rice Cracker, Asian Invasion, Q, Lukester, Lucasaurus Rex. Uh, and probably the most common one, hey, kid, get out of my way. Uh, that's what I got. I heard that a lot. Uh, but none of these really stuck. None of, uh, none of which really mattered to me anyways. When they call me this, yeah, it's fine. You can call me that. I don't care. Because uh, it didn't define me. Uh, they were literally just nicknames that meant nothing. Uh, like Steel Toe. Okay, fine. Whatever. They call me Steel Toe. I don't care. They, they weren't trying to be mean. But like again, it's like it, it, it didn't mean anything. It had no value. Now, in this passage, we see that a Christian is called a child of God. The significance of that name, child of God, brings an eternal weight of implications and signifies the identity of that individual, the Christian, the child of God. It it is meaningful to be called a child of God, much more meaningful than any nicknames I was ever called or am now called Cool Nut by Miguel. Thank you. Now, in his argument of the Christian's Full assurance of salvation. Remember, he kind of starts that in chapter 8, talking about the full assurance of salvation for the Christian. Paul explains now a beautiful truth of the believer's intimate relationship 
with God. And that is being a child of God. Being part of the family of God is one of the deepest, most profound, and permanent realities of the believer's relationship with God. To be part of the family of God is is far more incredible than we'll be able to explore or even understand tonight. It is one of the most humbling, rich, intimate, and gracious truths in the Christian life. My hope and my prayer is that the Lord would use this time to show us how incredibly gracious and loving He is. And how incredibly blessed you are if you are a Christian here tonight. Okay, so tonight, very simple. We're going to look at six aspects of what it means to be part of the family of God. In these few verses, we're going to look at six aspects of what it means to be part of the family of God. So first, and this is our only section. To be part of the family of God means to, we'll look at six aspects. So first, to be part of the family of God means to be led by the Spirit, verse 14. Be led by the Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, verse 14. This is in continuation to what Paul was just talking about, how every believer has the Holy Spirit in them. Let me be very clear. If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God residing within you. Do you guys remember this from last week? Yes. Okay. If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God residing within you. That's why I'm, I'm always cautious. Maybe you've heard this. I'm always cautious when someone says, oh, that person's so Spirit-filled. You ever heard someone say that? Or they're like, oh, man, have you met someone so, man, he's so Spirit-filled. What do you mean by that, Spirit-filled? Every Christian is spirit-filled. If they're not filled with the Spirit, they're not a Christian, says Romans 8, 9. If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit within you. And if you have the Spirit within you, then you are being led by the Spirit. What does that mean, to be led by the Spirit? Many people can misunderstand this. Many people feel they're being led by the Spirit, but how can we actually know that it is the Spirit who's leading us? Oh, I, I, I feel the Spirit leading me. Well, how do you know? How do you know that's the Spirit leading you? Based on your feeling. See, often the misguidings are based off of our feelings or based off of our experiences and our interpretations of those feelings and experiences. I'm not saying that feelings and experience have no value or no credit. God gives us both for a reason, and they should be valued. And God does work in mysterious ways, ways in which we can't always explain or understand. So by no means do I want to minimize or or, or doubt the creativity and supernatural work of God. But we must be careful of being led astray by our feelings and experiences. Our feelings and experiences should never supersede the truths of Scripture. So if we're looking to see what it means to be led by the Spirit, as it says in verse 14, we must see how Scripture says the Spirit leads us. So I'm going to present four ways in which Scripture shows us how the Spirit leads the believer. Still on this one point. The first is that this, how the Spirit leads the believer is that he changes our heart. 
He changes our heart. It starts with a change of heart, and that only comes from God, right? Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. So without a change of heart, we're still in the flesh. We're still dead in our trespasses and sins. We cannot change our hearts, but we need a divine miracle from heaven. We need God to intercede. We need God to initiate, and we need God to give us a new heart. And this is done through the Holy Spirit. So first, he changes our heart. How does the Spirit lead the believer? He stirs our heart. Secondly, he stirs our heart. The Holy Spirit is the one who works in our hearts and stirs in us a love for God. Galatians 4, 6 says, God sent the spirit of his son into where? Our hearts. It is the spirit who is in our hearts, if you're a believer, and who stirs in us a love for God. The spirit of God leads us to love God and love the things of God. Just like Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where does this hunger and thirst come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. He is the one who stirs our hearts to love God. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? We hunger and thirst for many things in life. Think of all the things that you hunger and thirst for, all the things that you long for. Think of all the things that that you you constantly spend your mind thinking on, all all the things which you have a great desire for, you have an appetite for these things. Think about all the things you hunger and thirst for. Do you hunger for righteousness? Do you thirst for righteousness? Or even more direct and, and further, we can say, do you hunger for God? Do you thirst for God? Do you love God? What in your life shows evidence of your hunger and your thirst and your love for God? If you belong to the family of God, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, if you're being led by the Spirit, you ought to love God. And you ought to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because the Holy Spirit stirs that in our heart. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit, how does he lead the believer? He renews our mind. He renews our mind. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, the things of God are foolishness. We can't understand them. We looked at that last week in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, right? These things are foolishness to the unbeliever. He goes on, verse 16, to say, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. See, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that we need to renew our minds. We'll get there in Romans chapter 12. To think, to understand, and to accept the truths of God. And where is it that we see the truths of God? How is it we're to renew our minds? Where where do we even see these truths? But what? In Scripture. He has given us his word to teach, to enlighten, and to direct our paths. And it really is a pairing of both scripture and the Holy Spirit together that gives us true understanding of God. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have scripture and Holy Spirit, but one without the other. If you believe that you are led by the Spirit, but are without scripture, you will be filled with error. And with man's wisdom. This is how all kinds of unbiblical and false teachings are promoted. Well, I'm led by the Spirit. But it's not based in Scripture. Or on the flip side, if you're studying God's Word and you're reading it religiously apart from the Holy Spirit, such as every unbeliever, 
then it will eventually be folly to you. And you will not receive the true death and fruit of his word. You see, it's the one who reads scripture being led by the Holy Spirit that their minds are renewed. Has your mind been renewed? What kind of effect does the reading and preaching of God's word have in your life? Have you been growing in your understanding of God's word? Or are you becoming more enlightened to his truth? Is God revealing his truth to you by his Holy Spirit? Fourthly, how does the Holy Spirit lead the believer? He directs our will. He directs our will. Philippians 2.12 says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And verse 13 says what? For it is God who works in you to will. And to act according to his good pleasure. We need our wills to be realigned, to be redirected to God's. What will? This specifically, I believe, is talking about God's moral will. That as the Spirit directs our will, it ought to be in line with God's moral will. That he directs us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so we should pray like the psalmist prays in Psalm 119. That says, make me walk in the path of thy commandments, for I delight in it. Man, what a great prayer. Pray that God would strengthen you to walk in his commandments. Is that what you pray? Do you pray, God, help me walk in your commandments? I'll be honest with you guys. As a teenager in high school, I used to pray that I would get away with my sin. Have you ever prayed like that? I'll be honest. I prayed like that a lot in high school. I used to pray that I would not get caught that he would allow me to get away with it. I knew what I was doing was sin. I said, oh God, please don't let me get caught this time. What a horrible prayer. But it reveals that I desired my sin more than I desired God's will. I desired that I would be able to feast on my sin and get away with my sin. I wanted that more than I wanted to follow his commands. He pray that he would direct your will. That he would make you walk in the path of his commandments. And what, as it says in Psalm 119, that you would delight in it. That you would delight in it. Has your will been redirected? Do you desire now to walk in the ways of God? Are you on his path? The Christian who is led by the Spirit is on the path of God. They fall, they stumble, but they get up by the grace of God and they continue on the path. And they grow in holiness. And they desire to follow God. Now all these four points I think can be summed up in this way. That the Christian is led by the Holy Spirit. How? By the sanctification of his life. By the sanctification of his life. That it is because the Spirit has illuminated his heart, stirs his heart, renews his mind, directs his will, that the Christian is being sanctified, is seeking to obey God's word and growing in holiness. And it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. And as the Christian grows, he realizes and understands more and more. It's not in himself that he grows. It's not, oh, now I'm so good. Look how much I read the Bible. Look how much I go to church. No, but it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit who leads and strengthens him and is a dependent responsibility. He's responsible to act, but he's fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. Christian, be, be assured that even those times in which 
Maybe it seems like you're not growing. Know that the Spirit indeed is performing a divine and perfect work in you. Philippians 1, 6 says that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion. Has he begun a new work in you? If so, then you are filled with the Spirit. And you are being led by the Spirit. And you will be completed. Okay, so it starts off, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit. This kind of transition. This is kind of a transition verse from what we talked about last week with the Holy Spirit. And now going into the family of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now we're introducing the family of God. Okay, so our next point here is to be part of the family of God means to have brothers and sisters. To be part of the family of God means to have brothers and sisters. I want you to notice the plural here because it can be overlooked. It says all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, plural, of God. Don't miss that. That means that all Christians are part of the same divine family. That we are all brothers and sisters in God. Now, I don't think the difficulty, I don't think the challenge, I don't think the problem is understanding of that. I think it's the practice of that. Do you live with other Christians as if you are in the same family as them? That's the practice, and that's when it gets hard. Do you have a deep love and care for the body of Christ? A deep love, I'm saying. Or is it just surface level affection that, that you have that, you know, I'm just I'm keeping the peace. I'm not divided with anyone. So I'm good. I, I'm, I'm in unity with everyone. That's not what I'm asking. I'm saying do you have a deep love for them? Do you involve yourself with the physical and spiritual needs of the body? Or do you isolate yourself from the rest of the body, assuming, you know, someone else is going to handle it? Do you view your brothers and sisters in Christ as members of the same body? Or do you view them as simply members of the same club that you signed up for? And say, yeah, you know, yeah, we all all kind of agree on these things, so we're good with each other. You see what I'm getting at here? Christian, we are members of the same family of God. Christians are made up of all different races, all different classes, different backgrounds, ages, abilities, strengths, weaknesses, sensitivities, annoyances, pet peeves, and thousands of other things. But you know what we share in common? The same Father in heaven, the same blood that was shed for us, and the same spirit that resides within us. We are united together in one body. So there is no reason why we should not love, we should not serve, we should not serve with any other brother and sister in Christ. We will have differences. We will have disagreements. But we will always be brothers and sisters in the family of God. Now there is a qualifier. What does it say? Only those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. That means that everyone not that means that not everyone is part of the family of God. There is a separation. There is a qualification that you must be led by the Spirit of God in order to be sons of God. That being said, there is a sense in which everyone is part of the same family, right? We in that we're all created by God. That we have one creator. We all share one great, 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 great grandfather being Adam. We all have one creator, God. So yes, we're all part of the same family in that sense. But not everyone is God's spiritual child. 
There are those who have not been adopted into his family. Those who remain outside of his family. You understand, you are one of two families. Jesus makes this quite clear in John chapter 8. That you're either of God or you're of the devil, he says in John 8. You're in one of these two families. You have one of these two fathers, God or the devil. Listen to Jesus' words in John 8. I'm going to read 42, 44, and 47. He says, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. That's the devil's desires. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. See, Jesus is making clear the separation the distinction. You are one of two families. The family of God or the family of the devil. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, as it says in verse 14. But those who remain in the flesh are sons of the devil. And while in our natural state we are sons of the devil, there is hope. There is hope into being adopted into the family of God. Yes, by nature, we are sons of the devil. But guess what? We can be adopted out of that family and brought into the family of God. And so our next point is be adopted as a child of God. To be part of the family of God means what? To be adopted as a child of God. Verse 15. You receive the spirit of adoption as sons. To say that we've been adopted into the family of God is something new that we see in the book of Romans. You may remember that we've seen that we've been justified. We've seen that we've been given new life. We've seen that we've been given a new nature. But now we see that the Christian has been adopted. This adoption means we receive a new status. We are now sons and daughters of God. We are part of his family. The term adoption, I mean, we could just spend so much time. It is jam-packed with significant truths and parallels between the physical adoption and spiritual adoption. Adoption is when someone decides to take a boy or girl who's not their physical offspring into their own family as their own child. Right? It is a legal procedure. It comes at a cost. It means that the child receives all rights and all privileges as any other member of the family, as they are now indeed part of the family. And it is done by the love and the grace of the parents, not earned by the child. You can see the direct parallels, can you not? There's been a legal transaction for the believer, and it came at a great cost. Just like adoption, Colossians 2.14 says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, it was the blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf that our legal demands would be met. The Christian receives all rights and privileges as a child of God, just like an adoption. As Ephesians puts it, we receive the immeasurable riches of Christ. Our cup overflows. These are not rights and privileges that we had before we were adopted into his family, but as a result of now being a child of God that we receive these rights. Because of our adoption. The Christian receives this all by the grace of God. Just like an adoption. It's not that the child earned it. But it was by the grace of their parents. The Christian does not earn the right to be adopted into the family of God. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. You see. If you are 
a Christian. You've been adopted into the family of God, and he has brought you in to his family. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18 says, I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This, I think, is the most radical transformation that could ever occur to you. To be adopted as God's child means that you've been delivered from judgment and wrath, and you've been given the inheritance of eternal life. We're going to look at that more next week or next time we're together. It means that you were a slave, but now you are free. It means that you were dead. But now you are alive. You see, to be adopted, it it changes everything. It changes your life here and now. And it has everlasting effects as you will remain a child of God through all of eternity. That is the adoption that we receive. It goes on to say that we are no longer to be a slave to fear. So to be part of the family of God means what? To no longer be a slave to fear. Christian, you have no need to fear. What is there to fear? There is such security in the hands of God. If you have truly been adopted into his family, you need not fear. Yes, we have worries. We have hardships. We have concerns in this life. But the encouragement is that you do not need to fear because you are a child of God and he is your father. What great security do you need than to know that God, your father, is with you? I remember one time I was very young, probably still in a car seat, maybe just out of it. I probably still in it. I remember very vividly driving and in my dad's truck, I was, you know, in the back seat, and it was storming. At least as a kid, it seemed like a crazy storm. It probably wasn't. We live in California. But it was, you know, it was raining and the wind and all this stuff. And I was scared. I remember being scared of, man, we're going we're gonna to be hurt. Like, we, we, we're not going to make it. And, of course, it's no problem. But as a kid, it seemed like that. And so I was scared. I told my dad I was scared. I remember seeing him holding the, the steering wheel and him saying, it's okay, Luke. I, I, I'm here. I, I got this. I'm, I'm driving. We're, we're going to be okay. And, and, and it's simple. Like, of course we were. But I, and I remember instantly feeling comfort and saying, you know, you're right. Like seeing him say, he, he's got this. It, I was in good hands. I would be okay. I no longer had to be fearful. And I remember just leaning my head up against the window with the rain coming down the window and just falling asleep, really. Because I was just calm. I was at peace knowing that my dad had it. What, what better hands than to be in the hands of God, your father? You were adopted into his family. He's your father. He's got this. You are in his hands. We have no spirit of fear. Look what he says in in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Christian, we need not fear. Don't fall back into that. Don't fall back into the slavery of fear. Because you were adopted into the family of God. 
before you were adopted into the family of God. Yeah, sure, there'd be much uncertainty, right? There'd be much worries. But in the family of God, we need not fear. Don't fall back into the slavery of fear. Christian, you've been set free from that. The non-Christian, however, is still bound to fear. They may deny it. They may mask it, but in the secret of the hearts, they know they live in fear. They know they're slaves to it. As one writer said, quote, sinful men are continually subject to fear because they continually live in sin and are therefore continually under God's judgment. Slavery to sin brings slavery to fear. And one of the gracious works of the Holy Spirit is to deliver God's children from both. From both the judgment and the fear. So you see, Christian, we've been set free from this. You can have confidence that your sins have been forgiven, Christian. That that, that the judgment you deserve has been put aside. That that you are in the protective hands of God. That he is always in control. That he always has what's best for you and that he will bring you to completion. Why do we still fear? We do, do we not? We still experience difficulty. Yes. So in those times of difficulties, Christian, what ought we do? If we're not to fear and we still experience these times of difficulties, what are we to do in those times? Well, what it says in verse 15, that the Christian ought not to have a spirit of fear, but instead to go with confidence to God and cry out to their Abba, Father. You see that in verse 15? Look at it again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That, beloved, is our response now. And this is my my, my favorite part of this passage. That now, our next point, to be part of the family of God means to cry out to God as Abba, Father. Cry out to God as Abba Father. What an amazing truth. You understand? Like, let's, let's take a step back. We know God as creator. We know God as judge. We know God as ruler over all. And these all relay a very distant God. And indeed, he is distant because he is holy and he's so far above us. But for the believer, for the Christian, he is also father. He is close. He has a close relationship with his children. The fact that we can call God, that we can call the God, that we can call him father, should not even be on the table. It should not even be in our vocabulary when talking to him or about him. What makes us think we can call him father? In the Old Testament, they wouldn't dare call God father. This is something that Jesus sets an example for us to do. In the Old Testament, there was such a reverence for God that that they used his name as little as possible in public speeches and prayers. In fact, the name for God was so protected that many are not even fully confident on exactly how it was pronounced. Because it was not pronounced. They kept it sacred. So we believe it was translated and pronounced as Yahweh or Jehovah. As one commentator put it, 
Quote, God was considered to be too transcendent to be directly addressed, and his name was considered too holy to be on human lips. End quote. Does that even resonate with us anymore? Have we lost reverence for God? People use his name flippantly. They say his name in vain. They use his name as a cuss word. Sadly, we have lost much reverence for God. God is far above us. And now we dare call him Father? Yes. Yes, we do. Because Jesus opened the door for us to call God Father. He was the example. In fact, many people in his day saw him blasphemous because of it. Because he was always calling God Father. In all four Gospels, in every prayer that's recorded at least, Jesus refers to God as Father. The only exception, there's one exception to that. The only exception is when he's hanging on the cross. And he cries out, not Father, but he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Man, this, that, that, that ought to show the broken relationship that Christ bore for us. Always calling God Father, but not in that moment. He says, my God, why have you forsaken me? The relationship between the Father and Son, temporarily broken, as God had forsaken him, and as it pleased the Father to crush him. Now, in the same way that Jesus could boldly and confidently was able to address God as Father, so can you, Christian. So can you. Jesus came to God as his son. Now, we're not Jesus, but all who believe in his name, all whose sins have been forgiven, can enjoy the same benefits and privileges of being a child of God. So you can come to God as his child and he your father. Because in our union with Christ and in our adoption as his sons, we share in those privileges. And it's not just that he says father, but he says Abba, which in Aramaic means daddy. It means daddy. It's the most intimate and sincere form of calling your father, father. It is personal. It is vulnerable. It is loving. Christian, you have this kind of relationship with God Almighty, that he invites you to call him Daddy. That he invites you to call him Abba. What? How do we have the right to call God such a personal and intimate name? Because we've been adopted into his family. Because we belong to him now. You see, to, to, to the Jew, to call God daddy, it would have been inappropriate. It, it, it would have been irreverent. But this is what Jesus taught his disciples to do. And this is what we can do, too. We can go to God as Abba, as our daddy. It, it's, and it's not that we, we timidly or, or fearfully or, or bashfully call out to God as father. But it says what? The Christian cries out to God as Abba Father. He cries out. The word for cry here is the word crazo, which is an onomatopoeia. You know what onomatopoeia, right? It's like boom, pow, bam, right? 
It's an automobile's cross. It was used for the cry of a raven. Like a raven, you would hear a raven go, Crazzle, Crazzle! Like that, right? Like it's, like, it's a, like a cry of a raven. Christian, what he's saying is you can crosso, you can cry like a raven out to God as your daddy. He is not a father who pushes you away. He's not a father who says, come back when I'm not as busy. He's a father who invites you to come to him with all your burdens and to cry, to crosso out for help. To cry out to him. Remember earlier, we, we, we spoke somewhat negatively about our feelings. Don't, don't take that too far. Okay? In, in, in this case, Paul is urging us to express our feelings, to cry out to God. To cry out to God is, is not an in, in intellectual or a rational communication with him. God, I'm crying out to you. That's not what it is. It's a heartfelt, deep, intensified emotion that we cry out to God, Daddy, help me. That's what he's saying. It's okay to show emotion. It's okay to fall on your knees in desperation, in anguish, and cry out to God. He invites you to do so. So do so. Don't be timid. Don't be scared. God is there for you as your father, as your Abba, your daddy to cry out to. What do you do in time of need? What do you do when the darkness closes in? Do you cry out to God as your daddy? He is the lifter of our head. You know what that picture it signifies? He lifts our head. When we are down, when we are distraught, right? our head is pointed down. He grabs our head and he lifts it up so that our eyes are no longer down, but they are pointed to him. He lifts our head up so that we can gaze upon the Father. Cry out to God as your daddy. Fixate your eyes on him and know that he is there for you. Always Christian. Because you've been adopted into his family. And you've been given the right and the privilege to cry out to him as daddy. Maybe this this does not resonate well with you. Because maybe you have not or you do not have a good father. Maybe your father is absent in your life. Maybe your father is abusive physically, emotionally, mentally. Maybe your idea of a father is not a good one. And so to have another father, maybe is not great news to you. But this father is perfect. He is perfect. This father is never absent. This father only has what's best for his children. So go to God as your daddy and cry out to him and find comfort. In his arms of grace. Now lastly, what we see is that to be part of the family of God means to have assurance of this relationship. It is to have assurance of this relationship. Verse 16. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, as in our inward spirit, that we are children of God. There are times of doubt. Are there not, Christian? Times in which we doubt or wonder if we truly are a child of God. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness and assures our spirit that we are indeed children of God. It's not an audible voice. It's not a flashing neon sign in the air that says, child of God, child of God. Can God work in these ways? Yes. His power is not limited by that. That's not what I'm saying. But what do we see in Scripture? How does the Spirit bear witness? Boy, everything that we saw, that we've been seeing all chapter, really that we saw a lot last week, what? That the Christian has their mind set on the Spirit, that he lives according to the Spirit, that he has the Spirit dwelling inside him, that he puts to death the deeds of the body, that he's led by the Spirit, that he cries out to God as their Father. Like all of this is how the Spirit bears witness and gives us assurance that we are indeed a child of God. That's what I'm saying. There will be times of difficulty, Christian. There will be times of doubt. But be mindful of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let the Spirit assure you that you are indeed a child of God. Not because of the work that you've put into the relationship, and that's your assurance, but because of the work and the evidences of the Holy Spirit in your life. Remember, we we do not have a spirit of fear anymore. So Christian, you you have been adopted into the family of God. If that is truly you, then live in confidence. You don't need to live in fear. But live in confidence. Be confident in the Spirit. Don't live your life in fear or hesitation. But live boldly knowing with confidence that you are in the family of God. If indeed the Spirit dwells within you. Then we can have assurance that we are children of God. As we close tonight, to be part of the family of God is one of the greatest joys and the blessings that you will experience in all of eternity. To be part of the family of God means that you're led by the Spirit. It means that you have brothers and sisters in this family. It means that you've been adopted as a child of God. It means you are no longer a slave of fear. It means that you can cry out to God as daddy. And it means that you can indeed be assured you are a child of God through the Holy Spirit. Are you part of the family of God? If so, then live like you're part of the family of God. Live as a brother or sister who loves and serves and cares for the other members of the body. Live as a child of God who does not live in fear, but instead can confidently cry out to God as daddy. And live with joy. Live with boldness. Live with thanksgiving. Knowing with great assurance that you are child of God. If you are not part of the family of God, my hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit would convict your heart, that he would grant you faith to believe, and that you would be adopted into the family of God. My hope for tonight is that you are able to see how truly amazing it is to be part of the family of God. It's one of the most humbling, rich, intimate, and gracious truths in the Christian life. 
Adoption to the family of God is one of the deepest and most profound and permanent realities of the believer's relationship with God. So find rest and find joy in being part of the family of God. Let me pray. Father, God, we thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you, God, that you have adopted us as your children, sons and daughters of you. God, that we we have life now found in Jesus Christ. Thank you that your spirit works in our heart, that your spirit has given us new life. God, that we belong to you. Oh God, I pray that we would cry out to you as our Abba Father. God, that we would trust you. That we would live for you. I pray we would not fall back into the slavery of fear. But we live boldly for you. Lord, I pray for those who have not been adopted into your family. God, I pray that you would give them new life. That you would adopt them. That you would give them faith to believe. Lord, I pray that you'd be working our hearts tonight. Lord, help us love one another. Help us be vulnerable with each other. And I pray you were glorified. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.